Hey everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Jesus comes from a long line of kings who provide for the needs of their people. And Jesus is a prince like his kingly fathers. Mm. And he will come and he will rule like them. He will provide what his people need preeminently like with bread. He'll actually feed people bread through miracles. He'll give us our daily bread when we ask him in prayer, but also through something far more significant, like he is the bread of eternal spiritual resurrection life. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We're continuing our look at the book of Matthew and how he's teaching us to read our Old Testament to see how it's all about Jesus. Seth, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. I am feeling the more I study the book of Matthew yeah. as a beat for beat replay of the history of Israel in the life of Jesus, the more I feel really invigorated to read my Old Testament and yeah. overwhelmed by the amount of information it seems that Matthew is trying to give me. Yeah. Our talk last week just made me see, and in the genealogies, just made yeah. me see how much he is packing in to every word. Yeah. And, and we, like, we talked last week about the birth narrative or the conception the narrative, conce the conception narrative. Of Jesus and talked about Mary as like the queen of a new creation from her womb and from Jesus, all new life will come. Yeah. We talked about Jesus and what its name, it means to be God with us. And we didn't talk about Joseph at all. Yeah, we just teed it up. We were like, Joseph uh, has the set of three dreams. Yep. Which mirrors the Joseph of the of the Genesis story, who was a dreamer. Yeah. But we just kind of set that up and left it alone. So I want to start by talking about a little bit about Joseph today. Which one? Both Josephs. <laughs> Joseph Ben Jacob and Joseph Ben David. Oh. Maybe I, to make a fun I, little... I still don't know which is which. <laughs> <laughs> I'll explain. Oh, good. And then move into Herod and the star and the wise men. Okay. So where's a good place to start that conversation? We did the conception story. We know about the importance of Mary's virginity. We know about Joseph as a new Isaiah. If you don't know anything what we're talking about, go back to the last episode. But... Now he has these series of three dreams, um, and what are those dreams? So the first one we've, we read last week. After Joseph decides to divorce Mary quietly, an angel comes to him in a dream and calls him Joseph, son of David. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
and informs him that the child is conceived of the Holy Spirit. He wakes up and then he marries her. So that's the first dream. Okay. And so we've got some things to talk about, even in that phrase, son of David. Oh, yeah. So we didn't Joseph, even talk about that. Joseph ben David. Joseph, son of David. Ben mm. is just the Hebrew the Hebrew way to say son of. Oh, okay. Uh, I've like, been David before too. Yeah. <laughs> I still am David, but I've uh, also been David. Joseph, the son of David. So why are we being queued up that way? Mm. And then how does this connect to the other Joseph who was a dreamer all the way back in the book of Genesis? Mm. Matthew's taking us through the history of Israel and Joseph, the dreamer, the father of Jesus connects us to the book of Genesis, the very beginning of Israel's history as somebody as a kingly figure mm. who saved God's people back then as well. So okay. let's do that. That's a lot. That's a, so much. Okay, so an angel comes to Joseph in a dream because he's thinking about divorcing Mary quietly now that she's pregnant, but this angel comes to him, and before he even gives the content of the message, the angel says, Joseph, oh. number one, is important, yeah. and then son of David, yeah. which is important. So. Yeah. Um, which one do you want to unpack first? Let's do both at the same time for ease of ease. <laughs> for ease of ease? <laughs> for ease of ease. <laughs> but Joseph, the original Joseph, wasn't a son of David. Okay, fine. So. We'll talk about Joseph All right. first. I win. So in the book of Genesis, yes. Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob. Right. The forefather of the entire nation of Israel. Also, also known as Israel. Also known as Israel. Yes. This is one of his 12 sons. Right. And during Joseph's lifetime, he was supposed to be the ruler of all of his brothers. Oh, oh, because of all the dreams he had. Because of all the dreams he had. Right. His brothers resented him for this. He was put into a cave, sold as a slave to Egypt, but then became a king mm. in Egypt, the second in command, the right. vizier to Pharaoh. Mm. And he, during his reign, um, interpreted more dreams of Pharaoh, had more dreams of his own, and through those was able to provide food for the rest of his brothers during a time of famine. Right. And then at the end of his life, all of Israel comes to Egypt and sets up a new community there. Right. And they have land there and they're able to live there in peace for a significant amount of time before they end up being slaves. Right. That's the story of the first Joseph. That's the story of the first the, Joseph. The dreamer who is like a king who saves his people from. By ruling and interpreting dreams. And providing bread. And providing bread providing in the bread. midst of famine. Okay. And so, He's also the reason they all ended up in Egypt. He is. <laughs> but it was for, it was good for a little while. It was while. good for a little while, and then not so great about four hundred years later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what is that what what is what is Matthew trying to do by connecting us to Joseph Ben uh, Jacob, Jacob. <laughs> yeah. to Joseph Ben David. Yes. What's he doing there? Or or maybe a more interesting question is are you just getting carried away with Old Testament links? Like mm. sure, Joseph was a common name, get over it. Right. Is Matthew really doing that? Well, I mean, if it wasn't proven by all the proof texting we did in the first episode, <laughs> I feel like I'm well within my rights to read Matthew as explicitly following the history of Israel as That's I am. True. Yes. So it's like he's given us a history of God's people. 
He's given us allusions to the creation story and to the Holy Spirit hovering over the mm-hmm. face of the waters, hovering over the womb of Mary. Like we've been primed all the way through the book of Genesis. And what happens after the creation narratives and the story of Jacob and the genealogies, the story of Joseph right. before the slavery of God's people. Right. And the slavery of God's people is going to get picked up again in the next chapter. Right. So so it's, it's, it's not just that, okay, look, Matthew's following beat for beat the Old Testament, especially starting in Genesis. And so what happens next is the story of Joseph. Mm-hmm. And we have a guy named Joseph. Right. But it's also the fact that this Joseph dreamed mm-hmm. that that Joseph will end up taking people to Egypt, mm-hmm. that there's other things that are mapping on to the story. Yep. It's not just like, we're not, no. what I'm saying, I think what I wanted to flag is you're not just going like, oh, his name's Joseph. Let's riff on that. Matthew's no. doing something wider here. Right. So, so then my next question is why is he looping in the Genesis Joseph to yeah. the story of Jesus. Let me prove to you a little bit more than mm. the fact that these two Josephs are connected. connected. Okay. So one more thing is that both Josephs are like kings, which is something that I've said mm. before. So Joseph, the first Joseph, was the king, the second in command of Egypt, right? kingly figure. And then this Joseph is explicitly called Son of David. Oh, it's a royal. That's a royal a, name. It's a royal name. He's second in command to David. Right. Yeah. And the fact that they both have dreams is actually a fairly kingly privilege in the story of the Old Testament. Oh, that's true. Like even Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Right. Solomon had dreams. Hezekiah, it's, I think, had it's a like, dream. It's, dreams and visions seem to be the purview of the leaders of God's people. Yeah. Particularly the kings of God's people. So the fact that they both have dreams set them up as these kingly type figures yeah we're also told that the job of a good king is to administer justice Mm -hmm. right and to do so with mercy on behalf of those that need it oh we're told that joseph wanted to obey the law yeah and Uh, interestingly it's like he's faithful to the law and one translation i've read said he administers the law interesting so he's like this good king who's administering the rights of the law, his right to a divorce for someone who's been unfaithful, but right. doing so with mercy right. by doing it quietly and not publicly shaming But then her. when God comes and gives him further clarity, he obeys God instead of just the letter of the law. That's right. Right. Also, both Josephs ensure God's people have bread when they're hungry. This one's a little bit weirder. Okay. But when Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, yes. Joseph ben Jacob, interprets Pharaoh's dreams, mm-hmm. he stockpiles all this bread for the coming famine and then he passes it out similarly joseph the son of david jesus's father protects his son jesus and brings him to bethlehem the house house of bread bread and as you know from the rest of jesus's life he calls himself the bread of life who provides bread for his people (laughs) yeah that is interesting that (laughs) joseph the dreamer in the new testament takes his people for refuge to the house of bread. That, right. I mean, you can literally hear <laughs> Jacob and the other sons, yeah. his other sons going to Egypt singing a song like, yes. we're going to the house of bread in Egypt because we need lots of bread. Yeah. yeah. And more, then, oh, more connections between the two in Joseph, the son of Jacob, holds audience with a whole bunch of foreigners because all the people are coming to get food from him and he accepts gifts from all these different people and then he gives them bread in return. Joseph, the father of Jesus, has foreigners come to his house in the Magi and give him gifts and he return and he gives them his son to trust in as the new Messiah. Oh my gosh. And just like the first Joseph ran 
from a house to avoid sexual immorality with Potiphar's wife. Uh-huh. This Joseph also abstains, shows sexual restraint mm-hmm. by refusing to sleep with Mary until she uh, until gives she gives birth yeah. to to Jesus. Interesting. So there's a whole bunch, and that one's not so much about kingship, but just an yeah. interesting parallel between the two characters. But R- like, remind me, Seth, never to bait you again to prove something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's awesome. And so yeah. what I think is interesting here yeah. on like a meta note. So yeah. why then Joseph as a king? That's what. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's because Mary's already been set up as the queen. Oh, as the as the she's the queen of the new creation. From her womb, new creation will flow. I see. And who rises up to meet her? Who rises from sleep like a new Adam to marry her? The rightful king who does justice, who's merciful, who's a son of David, who listens to God and holds court among the nations to feed the world the bread of life. It's like, I feel like Matthew has given us a picture of Mary and Joseph so that you see them as like a new Adam and Eve. A new king and queen. A new king and queen of a new creation who their son will begin. As the image of God. As the image of the, <laughs> the actual <Imago> God. Day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my. That is such a more interesting light in which to paint Joseph than I've ever heard before. Because <laughs> usually it's like, poor Joseph thought he got cheated on, but instead the angel told him what the deal was. And so he just kind of quietly sat there and waited for Jesus to be born before he could actually get married. No, I think Matthew wants us to see him as. A king. a king, yeah, as a king of a new world and order. That, like I think his sexual restraint mm-hmm. or his obedience has always been portrayed to me as either he's a paragon of morality. Yep. Wow, what a righteous man that he would wait, you yeah. know, or something like that. Or in a lot of narratives, they just overlook all these details, and so Joseph just comes off as passive, or kind of yeah, just yeah, like yeah. a. a a milk toast dad figure. And here you're setting up all these biblical categories and he's this strong willed, well read judicious King creating Mm -hmm. a new world order alongside his virgin bride. And I'm like, Whoa, that's so much cooler. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, I think there's a, a something to be said for the picture of humble Mary accepting the call from God and a humble Joseph doing something that was costly. Sure. And I think that's right. Right. We should see that. Yeah. They are paragons of virtue in that sense. Mm -hmm. They are good people to emulate. But maybe like even like Luke's gospel might pick up more on that. Yes. Maybe that's more of his highlight. But Matthew. I, I think Matthew really wants us to see something special in Joseph, the son of David, who is repeating and being like the Joseph of the Old Testament. And that Mm. comparison to the Joseph of the Old Testament continues all the way to the end of chapter two because he has multiple dreams that provide God's people with salvation. He holds court with the Gentiles. All Mm -hmm. that stuff happens Mm -hmm. over the course of two chapters. Okay. So that's that character of Joseph develops. Okay, Seth, you've put enough footnotes in (laughs) here. (laughs) I'm convinced. I think everyone else is convinced. Um, so other than the king thing, so what mm-hmm. is my next question? Why link? Why do we need? Oh, maybe this is the question. Mm-hmm. Why do we need a new Joseph? Why do we need the first Joseph? Man, I don't know. Don't turn it around <laughs> on me. I asked you the question. <laughs> Israel, God's people needed the first Joseph to be a leader to save them from famine. A leader to save them from famine. 
And that's what he did when he was in Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And similarly, God's people are still hungry in a spirit, in a physical sense. Jesus will provide food for people, but mm-hmm. also in a spiritual sense as well. Like they're a hungry people in need of satisfaction from the bread of life. Mm-hmm. And Joseph is providing that yet again. We keep saying that what Matthew is doing is he's just giving us categories in this conception narrative and in the genealogies that will play out through the rest of his gospel. And I think he's just giving us another one. What's another way to think about Jesus as the one who satisfies us with his bread of life? Mm-hmm. And how do I know that? Well, because even his father was a man who provided bread for a famished people. Why do we need Joseph, son of David, to be like Joseph, the son of Jacob? Because we need to know that Jesus is somebody who will satisfy our desires. Mm. He will give us our daily bread. Yeah. You know, like, I think that's what Matthew's doing for us. He's just giving us, Jesus doesn't come out of nowhere right. and become our daily bread. He comes from a lineage of people. Of bread givers. Of bread givers. Yeah. Stretching all the way back to Genesis. He's a son of his father in that sense, both spiritually and physically. <laughs> yeah. I'm also wondering, like, I, I totally agree with you. And this is not to diminish what you've said, but that does feel kind of like spiritual answer. Okay. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. we have these spiritual hungerings that yeah, Jesus yeah, is going to yeah. satisfy. I'm like, okay, yeah, totally. 100%. That's but very I mean, good news. Also, he will give us our daily bread. Mm. Like, oh, actual food that yeah, we that's, need that's to the pre- eat. That's the, one of the first things he teaches us to pray. Give us this day mm. our daily bread. Yeah. That's, that's what Joseph literally did in the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. He gave God's people their daily their bread. Daily bread. So they would not die. Right. And so, I, yeah, I'm wondering then with that is like to get more boots on the ground, you in in the Genesis story, you do have um, Jacob and his sons sojourning through the land of Canaan, mm-hmm. trying to establish a home that Father Abraham, Grandfather Abraham was promised. And while they're sojourning in the right places, they're fraught with war, uh, immorality, they don't actually end up setting up a permanent residence. Mm-hmm. And then when they go to Israel or when they go to Egypt to get the bread, they're then exiled from their home for 400 years and mm-hmm. they, they have to have the story of Exodus to go back to yeah. it. And so I, th- like, I think what's happening too is you've got an exiled Israel who is still in enemy occupied territory mm-hmm. with the Romans mm-hmm. and Hellenization yep. and all these other things that are happening. And they feel a lot like the Israel we meet either when they were 70 persons in all under Jacob or when they were a massive multitude enslaved under Egypt, they were still not the people of God they knew that they'd been set apart to be. They weren't rightly constituted as a nation state. They didn't have the autonomy and law governance that they felt like was their right in God as the people of the garden or the people mm-hmm. that would be given a law. And so it's like, it seems like what, what is being set up here is a new Joseph is coming to call God's people to a place where he will rescue them. Like, cause that's what happened mm-hmm. in Egypt. Like he called them into Egypt, into or- Egypt in order to free them and send them into the land. Like yeah. that the next phase in the redemption story is happening. Mm-hmm. Come to come yeah. follow Joseph to the house of bread, mm-hmm. and then through what he does, through his child, you know, through mm-hmm. his descendants, mm-hmm. which is eventually Moses, yeah, he will lead you into, yeah, like God's kingdom, 
yeah, Joseph, in the Genesis narrative, Joseph isn't super tightly connected to that broader story of like leading them out of there. No. But what's interesting is that in chapter two, Joseph mm-hmm. will go to Egypt and then come back to Israel. <laughs> right. And with Jesus more fully grown, he'll settle in Nazareth and fulfill all these prophecies. So there is like in Joseph's na- Joseph, the son of David's narrative, mm-hmm. there is that journey into Egypt and then back into Israel yeah. in order to provide a new home for God's people. And what's interesting, the Genesis ends with Joseph saying, I know I've brought you here to Egypt, but we are not supposed to stay here forever. Mm-hmm. I know that God will send us back to the home he's promised us in Canaan. So when you go back, take my bones with you. Like put mm-hmm. my bones in a backpack mm-hmm. and take them back into Israel. So in a way we're saying like, well, it was Moses that took mm-hmm. Israel out right. of Egypt and into their kingdom forever. Yeah. Yes, but J- Joseph was still there. Right. His bones were with His them. His bones were there. And so this new Joseph is this living shepherd back right. into the land of Israel out of exile. We're just we're just skipping ahead of the story. Yeah. But, but this is what's going to happen when Joseph goes to Egypt. Yeah. And comes back out of Egypt. We're also supposed to read in that movement to and from Israel and to and from Egypt the story of Moses as well. Mm-hmm. And so that that's a picture of what happened during Moses' life. God called Israel out of Egypt to go back into their own into their own land. Mm-hmm. And the bones of Joseph were with them that whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So then put a bow on this form before we go into what whatever you have plan for us next why does it matter that jesus's dad you know his or you know however you want to call yeah. him <laughs> that his jo- father. That, yeah that that jesus's father joseph has these connections to the the genesis joseph is it, is it just i mean i say just i don't mean to belittle right it. like he'll provide us with bread and he's a new king for a new creation i guess those all just feel so big right i'm having trouble like making it into my heart for like, oh, that's why it's such good news that that's who Joseph is as the father of Jesus. I think it, it goes, it does go back to the kingship thing. Mm. We'll get to like the promises of land in a second. The Joseph story is most closely tied with famine and bread. And what's less big, the fact that I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. and it just goes back to the thing I said before about the Lord's prayer. Joseph was a man who provided the daily bread for his people. And Jesus's father is the same person, is a picture of him. And instead of giving out physical bread to people who are hungry, he's giving us his son, who calls himself the bread of life, Mm -hmm. who himself promises to live out his father's legacy well, not only to provide us with spiritual bread, as we've said, but actually the bread we need to survive. Yeah. So I think like just on the boots on the ground level, it's like, if you are an exiled kingdom, if you're an exiled people, an enemy-occupied territory, if you are an agricultural economy, <laughs> you right. know, like you don't know where your food's coming, I want to have a leader who I can trust to provide me with the food I need right. and actually has a family history of doing so, not just back one generation, but centuries and centuries. Yeah. Oh, Jesus comes from a long line of people who has always provided for God's mm-hmm. hungry. And Jesus is that same person. Yeah, it's really good. I'm also thinking of now, now that you have this picture of the the needy nations 
coming to Joseph for bread. And so we as the needy nations come to Joseph for bread because we're in famine. Mm -hmm. We have no bread. We have nothing to eat. We're starving. We can't even, even though we're in the promised land in Canaan, we, we don't have what we actually need. And we come to Joseph for bread. And in Genesis, what do they get? They get bread. Mm-hmm. In the Joseph of Matthew, what do we get? We get Jesus. Mm-hmm. The bread that comes out of the house of bread yep. in Bethlehem is the baby Jesus, that he is the bread that will satisfy the nations and that will provide for God's people like forever, not just, mm-hmm. oh, 70 and all. And there's what's mm-hmm. constituted the people yeah. of Israel when they came back from Canaan to Egypt. Here's some bread for you. It's like, no, all nations mm-hmm. can flock to the house of bread. And the bread that's there for them is the the baby, Jesus. Like he's the bread from heaven. Yeah. And he himself provides bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Okay, so we start chapter two, and Finally. Jesus is born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, it's just funny. It's just like, now after Jesus is born, wait, oh, hold wait, on. Wait. The last thing I heard is that Joseph isn't going to know his wife until she gives birth. And then the next verse is, and then after he was born, I was like, wait, what about the middle that part? nine months isn't important. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> good. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we've talked about the significance of Bethlehem being the house of bread, mm-hmm. Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And last line, oh. finish it out. We saw his star. Oh, the star. When it rose and have come to worship him. I was like, there's already like nine things I have uh, yeah, questions about. So I just decided to stop. But then the star the too. St- the star is like why they're there in the first place. Okay. Yeah. Walk us through it. What on earth is going on? Because in my opinion, uh, the, n- the nativity scenes have lied to us all. Um, that's probably true. <laughs> um, my wife collects them. I know. <laughs> and she, I, and they're beautiful. I they're love beautiful. your house at Christmas time. <laughs> but yes, they're probably mostly inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked a little bit about the figure of King Herod, that he's mm-hmm. like this reincarnated King Ahaz, a wicked king of God's people who is ignore going to ignore a sign of the star in this story, but also of the virgin birth as well. But what causes all the hubbub is the arrival of these wise men from the East, these mm. foreigners coming looking for a king of the Jews after they see a star in the sky. So a star comes into the sky, which in these wise men from the east, they actually see it as a sign. And unlike King Herod, mm-hmm. they notice it, pay attention to it. Yeah. And they're, they come and for some reason, they're like, hey, we saw a star. Where's the king? Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like a normal question I would ask. Right. Okay. So, so there's a lot of things going on there. Help me out. Yes. So let's start with why the idea of a light appearing in the sky would signal the birth of a king. So a light appearing in the sky to me would not immediately indicate, oh, a king must be born somewhere. No, I would be like, I mean, I would be like, I've never seen that star before, but I bet it was there all along. Right. But but there were Uh, people who actually studied the stars. Yeah, and this just comes from an Old Testament idea that the rising of stars would symbolize the rising of kings. So what you're telling me is that Mufasa was right. Of course I'm saying that. (laughs) Do you know what those stars are, Simba? Those are the kings that have gotten before me. 
So even Lion King knew this this old lore. I think the most famous, one of the most famous passages of scripture about a star is the book of Numbers 24, oh. 17. Yes. This is, is this one of uh, Balaam's prophecies? This is one of Balaam's prophecies. And he just says, a star will come out of Jacob. A right. scepter will rise out of Israel and he will crush the heads of Moab and the skulls, of the people of Sheth. Mm. And then the book of Micah also prophesies this as well. So yeah, if a star actually came out of Israel, it would like blow up the earth. <laughs> yeah. Like a, if a, like a, a planet sized <laughs> yeah, celestial object like, just came out of Israel. Yeah. So um, something else has to be going on there. Yeah. So why would a star signal the rise of a king? It's because that's kind of within the Hebrew imagination. Mm -hmm. And wise men or magi would have been familiar with the lore of Israel. And also, presumably, some people even think these are like followers of the wisdom of Daniel in Babylon. Mm. So they came from the east. What's out east? Babylon's out east. That's where it used to be anyway. Oh, yeah. And in the Daniel story, they do study the stars. And Daniel was the king of the magicians and the king of the astrologers. Yeah. And so he taught them to fear the one true God and presumably might have like... It, yeah, so, I never uh, think of the lingering effects uh, Daniel would have had on the nation of Babylon. Yeah, after being there for the administration of four kingdoms. And doing everything he did, like his right. stories would have gone on. So anyway. we don't know who but they that's are, still interesting. but the idea is that these people out in the east understand the significance of lights in the sky, yeah. that they might precipitate the rise of a king of a power. And in this case, they think it means the rise of the king of the Jews. Mm. And we have Old Testament prophecies to back that up. And what's interesting about that fact is that Herod's title is King of the Jews. So, oh, okay. Right, so that, that's his... So they come to the King of the Jews and they say, hey, where's the King of the Jews? And he's like, I'm right here. I'm right I'm like, here. No, 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 no the, we mean the, the real one, one the, the new one. The new one, the rising one. Oh, the new one, one, because there's a new star. Because there's a new star. Okay. I, I so, have so many questions. Okay, let's, let's go on. So that's what's like happening okay. in this, this world. Okay, where, where do you want to go now? Well, where do you have I, questions? I mean, okay, so my first question is... Was a new star made? Ah, uh, yes. Because uh, that seems insane. Well, I don't think it's a star. Oh, boy. So <laughs> all, right. all your nativities that have stars, I don't think they're stars. For a couple of, like, astronomical reasons. Oh. So, one, we're told that they see the star from the east. But at the same time, Herod is not aware of the star at all. Mm. So they can see it from far away, but Herod can't see it right above his head. Is he just ignoring a sign? Or? Um. Well... Would his own court magicians have been watching? I suppose. We're not told. We're just told yeah. he. We're just not like he doesn't recognize that it's even there. But these wise men from the east say it's there. Okay. And then after they arrive in Jerusalem, the star proceeds to move. Yeah, that from, always weirded me out. From Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which is moving from north to south, oh. and stars only ever move east to west. Right. So that would be either God moved a physical star, which right. I guess is possible totally within his unlimited power um but so like there's that and then eventually it stops and its natural light reveals the specific location of a house in which the messiah lives that's not the way that natural light behaves either right if you had an extremely bright celestial object it doesn't have a, a ray of light mm. it just lights up everything right so i think the question you have to be asking is why is matthew the only gospel writer to use the word star oh is he he's the only one what do everybody else well mark and john don't even mention a great light oh but the book of luke has a light 
But he says something different. When the angels appear to the shepherds, Mm -hmm. he says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of God shined. So we only have one other gospel who talks about a light, and he calls the light the glory of God. Okay. Okay, I've got data points in my head. I've got a source of light that moves. Yep. That it can hover over a particular location and single places out. Yep. And it also can be seen and not seen by particular people. And it's called the glory of God by another author of scripture. Okay. So I don't think it's a star. All right. I think it's more analogous to the pillar of fire. I knew it. I knew it. I was like, I think I have it. The pillar of fire that led Israel out of Egypt and into their promised land. And if we remember, if Matthew's tracking on the story of God's people, we're moving out of the book of Genesis into the book of Exodus and into the promised land. So like in this space and time, God's presence, God's glory moved by a great pillar of light. Yep, to show people where to go. To show people where to go. And we're also told when Paul is converted in the book of Acts, Mm -hmm. there's a great light. But only Paul sees it, and the other two people don't. Mm. So there's also precedence for like the in, the glory of God appearing, and only those perceptive perceiving it. it happens to Daniel too. It happens to Daniel as well, yeah. where he can see things other people can't. Right. So putting all this in there, I think the best understanding is not that it's a star, but it's like a pillar of fire, mm-hmm. a pillar of cloud, a, a pillar of light. Yeah. Is the word in Matthew the Greek word? Is it? astronomical star or is it light it's the word star okay it's the word star so So is he is he riffing on he's wanting us to think about numbers prophecy he's mm -hmm. wanting us to think about the lore of when the stars shine they're kings yes but it's like it's a light yeah like a star yeah okay i'm tracking that okay so okay first off why did god lead magi from the east using this proprietary invisible glory light to guide them like he did his people out of mm. Egypt like why go to such extremes to bring a couple of or I don't know how many there were the the magi why why do this with with them well for the reason we've already said Matthew is describing the history of Jesus like the history of Israel right and how did God lead his people out of Egypt through a cloud Right. So the same story is being retold in the life of Jesus as we go on. And I think we need to go on to continue to answer some of those questions. But okay. it looks, you look a little confused. Well, he didn't, but he's not leading his people out of Egypt. He's bringing the Magi. You, you're, oh, you're making faces. <laughs> he's bringing Magi to, to Israel, Israel, which would have been the promised land. Right. So a cloud of Oh, that's the same kind of trajectory that people... Right, so a a cloud is bringing people who are perceptive and faithful Mm -hmm. into God's presence. It's closer to God's presence and to the Messiah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I I think this is tracking with the era of history that Matthew wants us to think about. Yeah, it's tracking. I just want to know why. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, you want to keep going? Yeah, let's go. keep going. Okay. Um, So verse three. Then King Herod heard this. He was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and asked him where the Messiah was to be born. And they responded, in Bethlehem. This is what the prophet has written. And he quotes from the book of Micah. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means the least in Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. 
So what's interesting here is we have a big bad guy, the king of the Jews. Herod. Herod. Yep. Who has surrounded himself already with a whole bunch of teachers of the law. Yeah. And none of them like the idea that a new king of the Jews has arrived. None of them like it. None of them like it. Not just Herod? All of them. All Jerusalem was disturbed. And when he defines Jerusalem, he says they called together the people's chief, the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law. Wait, why would all of Jerusalem be troubled that the Messiah is coming? It's specifically the leadership of Jerusalem. Okay. The leadership of Jerusalem. That, I mean, that would make more sense. The than, religious elite of yeah, Jerusalem okay. that are concerned that a new power center is arriving. Because they already have a king of the Jews and they're in Herod. comfortable with the power situation. They, they like have where currently. the power lays. Mm-hmm. And uh, if a new king is coming. That means their positions of power might be disrupted. Okay. So narratively, Matthew is setting up for us the tension that will run through the whole of Jesus's life. Right. He'll be in conflict with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes. Why? Over issues of power. And what's even more fascinating is who are the bad guys right now? It's not the evil nation of Egypt. Oh, right. It's Israel. Right, it's their own king. It's their own king and the religious leaders who are supposed to be waiting for the Messiah. Right. But all of a sudden, they're being set up as the antagonists and the first people to respond to the news of the Messiah are, pe- are people that are not Jewish. Mm. What's happening right now? Like, Not only is Matthew repeating Israel's history, right. he's now inverting Israel's yeah. history too. I'm, going, I'm thinking back to our conversation last week where we went into Isaiah 7. And the sign of the virgin birth was supposed to be a sign to the reluctant Ahaz that God was going to stop the invasion of Assyria. Mm -hmm. And the way Matthew's telling it, it's as if the sign came and no one in Israel cared, but Assyria got wind of it. And they're like, oh, never mind. We just won't invade. Yeah. It's like, it's so flipped on its head. Yeah. And just like King Ahaz pretended to be pious by saying, no, 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 I don't need a sign, Isaiah. What oh, does King Herod say? He's like, he says, let's go search the scriptures. Where's the king to be born? And when you find him, please come tell me because so I, I want, want to worship, worship him. him. Uh. So if we haven't proved the point already, mm. Matthew is repeating Israel's history yes. in the time of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what yes. can, can be kind of confusing is we're t- saying generally it's chronological from Genesis through the book of Chronicles. Like we've talked about mm-hmm. that in a couple mm-hmm. of, in our first podcast. But he's also interspersing the time of the prophets in the middle of it. So it's not just like a straight line, right? It's not this event in Genesis 1, then this event in Genesis 2, and then this event in Exodus 1, and then this event in Numbers. It's like, that's happening in the background. But at the same time... He'll just also just pull He'll layer that with prophecies from Isaiah Isaiah or Jeremiah or wherever he will throughout his time. And in this case, uh, the book of Micah. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, meaning... These wise men expect that the star will hover over Bethlehem because that's where it's prophesied the Messiah will be from. Okay. What's interesting, you want to know something interesting about this prophecy? I obviously do. Matthew has changed the meaning of it. What? Are you not allowed to do that? <laughs> so, in Ma- so it's a quotation from Matthew 5.2, and this is what it says or in Ma- Micah, Micah, Micah 5.2. 5, and in Micah 5.2 it says this, But you, Bethlehem, though you are the smallest among the clans of Judah... And then, but Matthew says, oh, Bethlehem, you are by no means the least among the clans of Judah. (laughs) Mm. Isn't that interesting how he, in Micah, 
It says, even though you're small, something great will rise from you. Matthew says, you are by no means least among them. You yeah. are the greatest because of who will rise from you. Right. So he's like, he changes the wording a little bit, but retains the same meaning. Do you see what I'm saying here? Yes. And why that's important is this is setting a precedent for how Matthew will continue to unfold Old Testament prophecy, hmm. where he will feel really comfortable changing or even reversing the emphasis without changing the meaning right. <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. And so here it's like in Micah assumed this tiny town would rise up this humble ruler. Yeah. Here, because a mighty ruler has risen, the, el- the town has been elevated as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so I just wanted to flag that because that is a change from the way the Old Testament says this verse, but he's also being faithful to the intention of that Old Testament author at the same time. Right. I mean, we kind of do the same thing when we're quoting things. Right. It's like, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be word for word for us to be like, you know, it's like Albert Einstein said. I don't know any it's of his... Madness. It's madness. <laughs> <laughs> Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Right. It's, it's like, he probably didn't say it exactly word like it, it's. Oh, he said insanity, but it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the reason he does it here is yeah. to highlight a different point or okay. a, a, a secondary point in the Micah narrative, but he wants to highlight here, Bethlehem is now elevated as the birthplace of a rival king. So like he's elevating Bethlehem as like an anti-Jerusalem. Jerusalem Mm. is filled with Herod and people who are displeased at the rising of a king, but there's this rival city coming up with a new leader. Like, do you see? Yeah, that's Um, interesting. So just wanted to add a little bit of drama and also some interpretive asides well that helps because we're talking about how matthew's playing with the old testament a little bit here and it's like well why would he do that and i think it goes back to the conversation we had a few episodes ago on the genealogies where we said matthew's not an idiot he's actually a genius and whenever he does something in the genealogies that you think is historically clumsy like skipping a few generations right that what you would call a mistake is actually an extreme intention that he's trying to get you to highlight something and so what he's doing here is he's doing that same thing but he's quoting micah and he's changing around a few of the words not because he wants to misquote scripture or because micah got it wrong or because he doesn't believe the inerrancy of the old testament none of that he's doing it to highlight something and and show a new development in how this prophecy is being filled in Jesus. And that's just a way cooler conversation than I hear most people having about (laughs) (laughs) these kind of quotations. Thank you for indulging my little prophetic aside. Oh, you're Um, so welcome. But let's continue with the story of the Magi. Okay. So Herod Mm -hmm. then invites the Magi for a secret meeting. And he wants to know from the, when did the star appear? How did it come about? He wants to know details. He wants Mm -hmm. to know details about this rival king. And then he says, okay, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for this child because I want to worship him. We've said all this before. Yeah. And this is a parallel to Ahaz's false piety that we talked about previously. Okay. So after they heard this from the king, presumably thinking nothing of it, they go on their way and the star they had seen goes ahead of them and then stops over Bethlehem where Jesus was. And when they saw the star again, they were overjoyed. Supposedly the star's fading in and out of brightness Mm. because it seems like they just found it again. So again, connected to the idea that this isn't a star that's maintaining brightness through a, like as a celestial object, but mm-hmm. 
the presence of God in a pillar of light that moves, moves as yeah. it will. And then when they arrive at the house, they see the child with his mother Mary, and they bow down and they worship him. And then they open treasures, and they present gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they too have a dream, just like Joseph had a dream. And they're warned not to go back to Herod, and they return to their country back in the east by a different route. Okay. So that's the, that's end, the end of that narrative. The end of that narrative. So there's a couple of unanswered questions, I guess. Yeah, I've got some of those. Yeah, and I think one of the most interesting is why a story about foreigners at all? Right. In what some people call like the gospel to the Jews. Yeah, Matthew has been called the gospel to the Jews because it's so rife with Old Testament references. Like we keep saying. Yeah, yeah. And so what's, yeah, why, that's my question is why are magi from the East coming? Yeah. And also what's a magi from the East? Right. Uh, I think. <laughs> and then and then my other big question is why do they get a glory cloud? Ah, uh, That's yeah. like unprecedented. Yeah. So, yeah. So one of the great promises, the original promise of God's people mm. is that through Abraham, all the world would be blessed. Right. We so, talked about that when we talked about genealogies. Yeah, so yep. that's the original promise. That's the original thing God's people were supposed to do, mm-hmm. is bless the entire world. Specifically, through one of Abraham's offspring, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So, the ultimate of Abraham's offspring, the genealogy begins with the son of Abraham, right, is born, Yes. Jesus. And what's the first thing the son of Abraham does? He calls all the world to him. Mm. He begins his life fulfilling the promise God made to Abraham by inviting the nations to him, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that, uh, that's really interesting. What's significant about Magi from the East then? Why that in particular? Mm-hmm. Because if it's like, oh, if it was all nations will be blessed, why didn't he call, why didn't he send a hundred glory clouds and bring right. one representative from every nation to him? Yeah. Why Magi from the East? Is that like, the most far, unreachable, unfathomable land or something? Well, in the book of Genesis, the east kind of represents just awayness from God. Right. Like, Every time Israel, or sorry, the, like the people of God move away from the garden, they move east. They, they move, move east. east. They, they move, move east. east. They move east. They never move west. They never move west. West would be coming back to God. Right. Yeah. And if you remember the story of Genesis, after they're kicked out of Eden, they start moving east. Right. But do you remember what blocks their entrance from it being in God's presence again? An angel with a fire sword? With, yeah, uh, a sword of light. Oh, yeah. It's one of the ways that God's presence was manifest, was in this burning sword. Yeah. And so when you have people who are from the east following a light, what are they doing? They're going back to the same place that Adam and Eve were once banished from, mm, right? Yeah. And so they're moving closer and closer back to Eden, which Jesus is the child of the queen mm. of the new creation, with right. the king who will provide bread for all people. Like mm-hmm. these people from the East are reversing the trajectory of God's people since the Garden of Eden yes. by moving from the East to Jesus mm. and s- experiencing God's presence resting over him. I see. So <laughs> it's it's not only the Abrahamic fulfillment, which is all nations will be blessed. Here's a remote nation being right. blessed by the coming of Abraham's ultimate descendant. Yeah. But it's also that those nations and all nations, including Israel, will now follow the glory cloud of God mm-hmm. from your departure 
out yeah. of the garden back to its gate and yeah. you'll be able to enter into the new creation new world order again yeah. going to the east was like the ultimate symbol of being away from god but now the east is coming to the west the east is coming to the west that's right uh-huh. and what's interesting too is as i've said before herod is surround himself with the religious elite of israel mm-hmm. so the first people to respond to the the announcement of the messiah mm-hmm. are non-jewish people and the first people to harden their hearts are jewish people right and this is a, another tension that will be set up throughout the rest of the book of matthew is that the leadership of israel are calcified to the messiah but it's those on the outside the gentiles the foreigners the prostitutes the tax collectors yeah. who are most softened to hear the message of good news. Yeah, which is also interesting because you said that Matthew not only is going beat for beat throughout the chronology of the Old Testament, he also layers other themes and prophecies. And one of the themes of the Old Testament is the Jewish nation's hard heart to Yahweh. Yeah. And we're going to see that again and again and again. And the nations come oftentimes as a rebuke to Israel herself because they're sometimes more willing to follow Yahweh than Israel herself is. Mm-hmm. And so that Matthew's going to weave that theme in yeah. throughout. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this next week, but if it's the non-Jewish populations that are softened to the Messiah, ready to come to the Messiah, and it's the Hebrew people that have the hard hearts, the first people to have hard hearts in the Bible was Pharaoh. Mm, yes, right. God hardened his heart. Yeah, and so... It seems as if Matthew's also preparing us to see Israel itself as a type of Egypt. Mm. They've become the thing they were freed from. They're yes. enslaved to the same old masters. That thing will, will get it picked will up. get picked up. Uh, yep. I see where we're going with that. Yeah. Also, one of the interesting prophecies throughout the the prophets is that the kings of the earth will bring their treasures to God. Yes. And so, what happens it, here? What happens here <laughs> is that these these wise men of the earth come and bring their treasures to God as right. an acknowledgement that he is the true king of the world. Yeah. They've forsaking their nation of the east to pledge allegiance to the new kingdom created by God by their gifts. Yeah, and what's amazing is those prophecies they often talk about the kings bringing their their gifts to Mount Zion where the mm-hmm. king dwells, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And as you said earlier, Bethlehem yeah. Matthew is setting up as this new rival superpower city. Yeah. <laughs> Not Jerusalem where the temple is. Mm-hmm. Now it seems like the nations are streaming to the new Zion, which is wherever this baby is. Yeah. And wherever, wherever this kid is, wherever this man of God is, this son of Joseph, like wherever he is, that's where Zion is. That's where God's lo- locus is. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see Mount Zion popping up in Bethlehem and not in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount itself. Right. So, like, yeah, it's like this new mobile temple yeah. is in Jesus. Yeah. That's just really cool. That is really cool. And that'll be a big part of the tension between Jesus and the Pharisees throughout mm. his ministry is that the Pharisees are assuming that God's intentions for the world center around the temple, but Jesus will prophesy that that temple will be destroyed because. He is the new temple. He is the new center of God's actions in the world. Those who come to him will be saved, not those who come to the temple in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm, Right. Okay, last question for me to wrap up this section. Why do the Magi... Oh, no, I actually have two questions. Okay. Oh, no, you already answered my one, which is, what's a Magi? Oh, yeah. Wise men and potential astrologers. Yeah, uh, potential astrologers, maybe. Maybe... uh, adherence of the wisdom of Daniel from his yeah, time in Babylon. Okay. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Okay. I mean, and we've also said like 
representative kings. So like oh, I've heard other people say right. like magi could just mean kings, kings from the east. From the east. Maybe not just people who are observant of the stars, mm. but actual leaders of the world. Yeah. And fulfilling in a very on the nose way all those prophecies yeah. that talk about. They could also be like ambassadors of kings. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. we also said that in the Joseph narrative, uh-huh. nations from around the world came, came to, to Joseph yep. to get food from him. Mm-hmm. And so these people come bringing gifts, payment, and what? To get the bread of Jesus. Get the bread of Jesus. Ah, yeah. it's so good. Okay. Then my last question is why do these magi get a dream? And then why do they return home? They've. They've come to Mount Zion. Like, they've come to the king. Why are they leaving? Is there a significance there that Matthew's pulling on in the Old Testament? I'm not sure I have a good answer for why they get a dream, Mm -hmm. but I probably have a better answer for why they return home. Okay. They return home because they've received and pledged allegiance to the king of the new world. Mm. And if he's the king of the new world, then they can be citizens of the new world order wherever they're from. Their observance and following of the Messiah Jesus isn't tied to the temple and to Jerusalem, like we just said. They can go back out into all the earth and teach others to follow the Messiah, just as Jesus will tell his disciples at the end of the book. Matthew is setting up for us how the book of Matthew will also end, Mm. with people being sent out to live as citizens of a new kingdom. In all nations. In all nations. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Sum up for us where we've been uh, through this. Like, what's yeah. what's going on? What's important? Uh, uh, after mm-hmm. almost an hour of listening to us talk about Matthew chapter 2 and Herod and Magi, what yeah. should everybody be excited about for, like, the birth of Jesus? I think what the character of Joseph tells us to be excited about is that Jesus comes from a long line of kings who provide for the needs of their people. And Jesus is a prince like his kingly fathers. Mm. And he will come and he will rule like them. He will provide what his people need, preeminently like with bread. He'll actually feed people bread through miracles. He'll give us our daily bread when we ask him in prayer, but also through something far more significant, like he is the bread of eternal spiritual resurrection life. He'll give us what we need now and he'll give us what we need for eternity. Like Mm. I think there's something significant about that especially since this figure of King Joseph is paired with Queen Mary, right. mother of a new creation. Like, yeah. like something like is pretty significant is happening in that short genealogy there. Yeah. But then the wise men also prepare us for the fact that that new creation blessing is not restricted to Israel. It's actually expanded to fulfill God's original promise to Abraham, which mm. is that the whole world would be invited into the recreation of the world. Mm-hmm. And the first people in all of Matthew's gospel to respond positively to the announcement of the Messiah, besides Mary and Joseph, mm-hmm. are Gentiles, are right. non-Jews, mm-hmm. kings from other countries who are pledging fealty to a king other than the kingdom they're from. Mm. And I think it's too cool, too, that with the glory cloud thing, oh, yeah. that God goes and seeks them out. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, he leads them. He leads them with his glory and presence to come yeah, and which find his son. I know the idea of a new Israel is somewhat a theologically loaded term, mm-hmm. but the fact that the glory cloud leads a group of Gentiles does point to the fact that God is constituting or rebuilding 
a new people of God mm. in the same way that he made the first people of God by allowing them to follow his presence in a pillar of light. He's creating a new people in a beam of light. <laughs> like yeah. he's doing the same thing again. Right. And as we've kind of set this up, but we didn't draw this conclusion that what happened in Exodus whenever people followed the glory cloud of God to a place. Well, they got to Mount Sinai, and that's where they got the construction of the temple, this mobile place where God's presence oh, yeah. would dwell, and all of Israel brought their gifts to the tabernacle in order to build it. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened. You have this people, they follow a glory cloud to come to this place, the new Mount Sinai, the new Mount Zion, where the king of glory dwells in a baby now, or a two-year-old, you know, whatever, however old Jesus would have been at that time, and they bring their gifts. Because he's the new mobile tabernacle of God that wherever he goes, that's where God's presence is. Mm-hmm. So it's just cool, that, that cool. connection too. I think you're right though. God's reconstituting a global nation inside Israel once like, again. Yeah, a true nation of sons of Abraham. Yeah. Sons of Abraham by faith. By faith, yeah. yeah. It's really cool. Okay, well then, so next week we're going to move on. We've got some Exodus yeah, the, echoes. Yes, next week we've got Joseph leading his family to Egypt mm-hmm. to escape the Israel that's become Egypt. Yeah. Um, and then a fun prophecy about Nazarenes and some <laughs> other things that we get to talk about. <laughs> well, I can't wait. Well, thank you guys for uh, walking with us as we see how Matthew's teaching us to read the Old Testament. We can't wait to continue that journey with you, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.